Apparently, they're right in the center of Uranus. There's this black hole. Have you read about this? <laughs> Scientists <laughs> just discovered it. <laughs> uh, it was a real shitty day for them. <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. My name is Dana Smith, and once again, I'm here with Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. Hey, Dana. How are you doing this evening? Really good. So we got snow today and uh, temperature was cold, but, uh, you know, it's very refreshing in its way. And driving home in the dark, I kind of feel like I'm uh, living in space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah. It's been, you know, it's weird how winter makes it cold. <laughs> yeah. What's up with that? Just because we're further from the sun? Uh, just, you know. Welcome so, to the Weather Report podcast from Dan and Dana. <laughs> it's winter. It's going to be cold in the northern hemisphere. Yeah. And the reason is because we're further from the sun, Dan, and the, the earth is tilted away. So the northern hemisphere does not get the amount of sun that the southern hemisphere gets this time of year. Yeah. It all has to do with the tilt. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I, I do find this interesting, actually, that if we didn't have a tilt on the earth, let's say it was uh, exactly, you know, 90, 90 degrees, 90 degrees, although 90 degrees would be pretty hot, but let's say it's 90 degrees. <laughs> Sorry, bad joke. Weather joke. Welcome to the weather joke podcast. But anyway, well, we occasionally talk about Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But if it was 90 degrees, there would be no seasons like whatever you had. That's what it would be all year round. Yeah. I like the change of seasons. I do too. Yeah, I really do. And it's a beautiful fall and Eastern Washington, the leaves have been gorgeous. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Here's the funny thing, though. I think it's Neptune that is um, the only planet in the solar system where the axis is, um, I guess, if you're thinking about it, is horizontal to the orbital plane, right? So instead of like we spin on an axis that is essentially vertical up and down, I think it's Neptune that spins on an axis that is horizontal. It must have gotten hit by some huge object. Maybe something crashed into Uranus and turned <laughs> Neptune on its side. I mean, I don't really know. Is it Neptune? <laughs> I got to look that up. I think it's Neptune. <laughs> no, sorry. Uranus is the one. <laughs> sorry, Dane. I got to talk about Uranus again. Are you going to talk about the horizontal axis around Uranus? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Hey, actually, I do have this uh, little bit of a funny story. Um, hold on. Hold on. God dang it. Already. <laughs> oh, the ramble jar. Yeah. Ramble jar's out, Dana. Okay, I'm hold on. I'm we, tossing some. We, we haven't even officially well, we did officially start the uh Okay, I threw a couple coins. I only had a couple coins. I threw a couple coins in the uh ramble jar. So um I got some money out of the bank today because of the ramble jar. Oh so my god, gonna... you must have <laughs> when I was teaching middle school, I, the kids knew I loved Star Trek. And I would talk about Star Trek a lot, but uh, I told this joke once and I was like, ah, is that really afterwards? You know, I was like, is that really an appropriate joke? And I thought, ah, oh, for middle school, it totally is. And the joke was something to the effect of, uh, you know, what did uh, Scotty say to uh, Captain Kirk? And it was, Captain, there's Klingons circling Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just thought was hilarious. And the middle school kids thought it was hilarious too, but you know, they were middle schoolers. How old were those kids that you scarred for life? <laughs> sixth graders. Yeah. Oh, wow. I could see why they would have liked it in sixth grade. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Are we 
Have we even <laughs> talked about Star Trek at all yet? <laughs> Other than the title of the show, of our show, no. <laughs> okay. Oh, we did say they're going towards the sun, and then we veered off towards Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could go on and on and on about Uranus. Wow. Channel. I was not expecting this tonight, so. I, was... I wasn't either. <laughs> So we're like 10 minutes in, and I don't think we've even gotten anywhere yet. <laughs> no, we haven't. <laughs> okay, hey, let's talk about uh, last week's episode, which was Arena. We got a lot of comments about people that either liked the Gorn or didn't like the Gorn. But there was no negative comments on our show. Uh, I saw pictures of somebody who met one of the actors who played the Gorn. Now, and, how would we know? Yeah, I mean, I could say I played the Gorn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because they were not even ever credited, right? In the in the series, anyway. Yeah. No, but I think, you know, a lot of these guest stars and stuff ended up going to Star Trek conventions. Did we hear from any UFC fighters? No, we did not. But I did have somebody ask me for your address. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, do they know how to even use a computer? <laughs> well, we're going to hear from them now. So. <laughs> I hope people know this is in, just in jest and, and good fun. So anyway, that was uh, Arena, and uh, it seemed like a very well-received episode, and uh, now we can move on. Yeah, let's, and, let's move uh, on. Tomorrow is yesterday. The show starts out at an Air Force base, and a technician uh, detects something on his radar and tells his commanding officer there seems to be an aircraft in the vicinity, and the signal is over the base near Omaha, Nebraska. Now, Dana, we've already pissed off people from Nebraska. Is this going to piss them off again? <laughs> I I have nothing bad to say about Nebraska here. Uh, the, uh, the technician says uh, that this object just appeared like it just dropped out of the sky the commanding officer says you know to scramble some jets and take a look and they might have a real ufo on their hands and outside they get an f-104 starfighter is launched in the sky the starship enterprise is gliding through the clouds above and that's how the show starts yeah. So this was a real, this was real video from some Air Force base, right? And I believe that airplane crashed. The, the aircraft crashed in Thailand on the 16th of January, 1967, due to an engine failure. That was just about the time the show was broadcast, wasn't it? The 16th of January, 10 days before this episode was actually broadcast, the wow. plane featured in the beginning of that episode crashed in Thailand. So when we come back... Uh... We see the Enterprise in a cloudy sky. Captain's log states that they were pulled towards a black star. Um, when they attempted to break free, they were thrown through space. And little to their knowledge did they know uh, that they were also thrown through time. And now they don't know where they are. Now, a black star, I assume that's a black hole. That's what I took it as. We see the lights on the bridge are kind of dim. Uh, Kirk is helping Sulu to his station. Everyone seems disoriented. Kirk says that they are on impulse engines only. Spock helps Uhura to her feet, and uh, they, she sits in her chair. She looks quite dazed. Spock says that the warp engines are not operational. Spock reports that they are near Earth. Uh, they listen in on a radio signal and realize they have gone back in time to the 1960s. I'm getting something on another frequency, but it's not Starfleet. Put it on audio. This is the 5.30 news summary, Cape Kennedy. The first manned moonshot is scheduled for Wednesday, 6 a.m., 
Eastern Standard Time. All three astronauts who are to make this historic. Man, moonshot. That was in the late 1960s. Apparently, Captain, so are we. And then they see that there is a fighter coming closer. And then we get the view from the uh, fighter's cockpit. And uh, from his view, he is getting closer to the Enterprise. And he is all the while reporting to the base uh, what he is seeing and describing the Enterprise. The Enterprise locks onto him with a tractor beam. And even though Spock warns that it could break up the fighter, Kirk and Scotty go ahead with it anyways. And then, of course, the uh, fighter starts to break up. So they transport him into the transporter room. Which right there, you know, is going to cause some problems, right? Yeah. It's just, uh, you're pulling somebody out of time. Kirk goes and greets the pilot, and uh, it's Captain John Christopher. Now, Dana, when he beams aboard, he's facing away from the camera. Like, he's facing toward the back, back of, the, of transporter. the transporter. Right, at the back of the transporter. I've never seen this before. Someone's beaming in or beaming out. They're always facing forward. Yeah, and I was thinking that he would be in a sitting position. So, yeah, see, I mean, this you is don't the... stand up on a uh, in, in a fighter plane. That's, that's exactly right. So the transporter always can present present some problems, right? Are you sitting? Are you standing? What clothes get beamed with you? So his helmet is on. I don't understand what gets beamed in and what doesn't and what direction you're facing and, and you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, so they could have ended up beaming in the whole chair, the whole, you know, pilot seat and stuff. So Yeah, so that's that brings up a question. What gets beamed? Is it the person and just what they're wearing? And if so, why what they're wearing? And then, like you said, if you're sitting attached to a seat, why doesn't some of that get beamed up with you? It's just weird. Yeah. Well, this again is still early in the, uh, well, we're about midway through the first season, a little bit more. They hadn't figured out all this stuff. And again, remember, they used the transporter with... Uh, was originally created because they didn't want to try to use the ship to land on planets. Right, because the and special they, effects cost would have been too great, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's and, a brilliant concept. I really do. Oh, um, yeah. But just these sometimes, you know, when something happens, if the guy would have just been beamed on and facing forward, I never would have thought about it. You know, it makes me question how does the whole thing work? That's for uh, minds greater than ours, Dan, to answer that question. So that would be everyone listening. <laughs> Except the UFC Except fighters. the UFC fighters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the people from Nebraska. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, ouch. Ouch. I'm not cutting that out, Dana. Some Sounds of my best like... friends are from Nebraska. Yeah, they know yeah. I'm joking. The pilot seems to believe he has been taken by hostile aliens. Kirk basically says, you know, welcome aboard. And uh, says, I bet you're a bit shocked. You know, he's kind of a little bit mystified, Christopher, as he's coming off the transporter. And so uh, Kirk takes him, says they're going to go to the bridge. And as they're walking down the hall, they pass by a uh, female ensign. Christopher says, a woman. And Kirk responds, a crewman. So I thought, and I, I made a point of saying that because uh, that is the difference between the 60s and the 23rd century. If women were involved on a flight, it was at a, a flight attendant or a stewardess back in the day. And so I think that they that was a neat way to express that. However, the music <laughs> that was playing, did you pick up on that? 
It was that yeah. weird, sexy, you know, muted saxophone kind of thing. Yeah. yeah that still was a little odd. But you, a great point that you're making. And it's one that I'm glad they wrote into this episode, written by DC Fontana, we should say, female yeah. writer, who has written some of the best episodes in all of Star Trek. Agreed. Kirk tries to explain that they're from the future, and uh, he's uh, a very wary about uh, what is being told to him. And as they come on the bridge, Christopher says, I never have believed in little green men. And then, of course, the one of the first person he sees is Spock. And Spock says, neither have I. And so it's a bit of a humorous moment as Christopher takes in Spock, who obviously looks different and actually has a bit of a green tint to him. Yeah. Along with the pointed ears and, eyebrow- and pointed eyebrows. So Right, right, yep. Spock reports that they have achieved orbit above Earth's atmosphere and should not be detected anymore. Spock is concerned about Captain Christopher being on the bridge, and Spock says they cannot return him to Earth. We cannot return him to Earth, Captain. He already knows too much about us and is learning more. I do not specifically refer to Captain Christopher, but suppose an unscrupulous man were to gain certain knowledge of man's future. Such a man could manipulate key industries, stocks, and even nations, and in so doing, change what must be. And if it is changed, you and I and all that we know might not even exist. Your logic can be most annoying. Which is a huge dilemma with time travel. There's uh, always uh, some kind of consequence for what changing things that have happened in the past. And that's and one thing I love about time travel fiction, that whole idea of one little thing. What are the ramifications of that one little thing? And I, I just find it absolutely fascinating. I wish we could time travel like to the end of this f- episode. <laughs> Because <laughs> I want to go to bed. <laughs> uh, I'm an old man, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> So Spock and Christopher meet with Kirk and Kirk's quarters later in the, the computer uh, that we've heard before refers to Kirk as dear, which bothers Kirk for being so affectionate. Computed and recorded, dear. Mr. Spock, I wouldn't mind so much if only it didn't get so affectionate. It also has an unfortunate tendency to giggle. Spock explains that the computer system was programmed by a planet full of women. We put it into Signet 14 for general repair and maintenance. Signet 14 is a planet dominated by women. They seem to feel the ship's computer system lacked the personality. They gave it one. Female, of course. And the computer is whiny. And that's the other thing that gets a little... That, that definitely is sexist, right? And... and- Part of it's just Kirk's response. You know, he's yeah. just so exasperated by the way the, the computer calls him dear. And right. then he's trying to like correct it and say, you know, you are not to refer to me in that manner or whatever. So they say they need to keep Christopher on the Enterprise. And Spock says, Captain Christopher made no significant contribution to the world. And then just then, uh, Scotty informs Kirk that the repairs are coming along, but they have nowhere to go in this time period. And uh, Christopher says, Too bad, Captain. Maybe I can't go home, but neither can you. You're as much a prisoner in time as I am. I love that whole line, Dana. And it really focuses the dilemma for not only Christopher, but for the Enterprise. Like, where are they going to go? If they fix the ship, they got no place to go. Yeah, and I think uh, Kirk even mentions that, you know, over time they'd run out of food. They, you know, wouldn't be able to sustain orbit forever. And, you know, so could cause a lot of problems. Yeah, he has that conversation with McCoy. And McCoy's like, well, you know, if you beam everybody down, that's 430 chances that someone's going 
going to mess up the timeline. Spock calls to Kirk and says there's some important news that he uncovered about Captain Christopher. And then uh, we see that Christopher subdues a security guard and he takes his phaser. So he goes to the transporter room and demands he gets sent back to Earth. Kirk comes in, knocks the phaser out of Christopher's hand, and then hits him on the chin, knocking him out. Next thing we see is uh, Christopher in sickbay and Spock informs Kirk. I made an error in my computations. Oh, this could be an historic occasion. I find that we must return Captain Christopher to Earth after all. Why? You said I made no relative contribution. Poor choice of words on my part. I neglected in my initial run-through to correlate the possible contributions by offspring. I find, after running a cross-check on that factor, that your son, Colonel Sean Jeffrey Christopher, headed, or will head, the first successful Earth-Saturn probe. Wait a minute, I don't have a son. You mean yet? Spock further explains that the problem is Christopher's plane took pictures of the Enterprise and they recorded his conversation with ground control. They determined that they will have to go to the base and find the film and the recordings. So Kirk and Sulu beam down to the base. And it's kind of funny, they're snickering at a bulletin board. And then they pass by a trophy case and they're both kind of like pointing at it and, you know, shrugging their shoulders. And, and then they break into the, to the statistical services office. Hey, before you get there, I want to talk about the trophy case. So this trophy case is in the scene in that part of the scene for maybe two seconds. And, the, and I, I paused it to look at the trophies. And they look like maybe it's a basketball trophy, some other things. But there's a trophy in the center that looks more like some type of Air Force trophy. And it's got some planes, look like jets kind of coming out of it. And I was reading that Matt Jeffries, the uh, designer for the show, designed that trophy. I find it fascinating that they would spend time and resources on such an insignificant item that would be in the shot for a couple of seconds when they could easily go down to Goodwill and buy a bunch of trophies, which is probably what they did for the other ones, and just stick them in the case. I'm done now. I mean, don't you find that weird? I guess I didn't think about it. I did remember reading about uh, Matt Jeffries uh, designing a trophy, but I guess I didn't really put as much thought into it as you did. I thought he was just trying to add some, I mean, because they filmed this in a studio, and uh, so I thought they were just trying to add something to make it look like it's a Air Force base. Yeah, well, there was a sign that also said 498th Air Base Group on the top, which would indicate <laughs> you're at an Air Force base. They break into the Office of Statistical Services. Uh, they see a large computer tape machine, and uh, they go over to it, and they're taking the tapes off, and I, I I'm assuming that they believe these tapes are what was holding the recording, the voice recordings. So they don't know which ones is. There's like four machines set up and they take the tapes from every one of them. While they're taking the tapes, they're caught by a security guard. Back on the ship, uh, they're concerned that they haven't heard from Kirk and Sulu. Spock's like, you know, if they're in trouble, they'll signal us. And so then we go back to this computer tape room and the guard is looking over their belts that they had. Uh, with the communicators on them. And he opens up one of the communicators. It uh, sends out a uh, distress signal. And so they immediately beam up the guard to the Enterprise. Uh, we go back to the base. Kirk and Sulu finish taking the computer tapes and they go into the film room. But when they go in, it sets off an alarm and more security guards are alerted. And they don't know. This is a silent alarm. They, they don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's a silent alarm. Off. Yeah. Uh, so they go in, they find the film. They hear the guards come in. 
and Kirk walks out of the dark room and Sulu stays behind and Kirk kind of sees the guards coming in the room and he closes the door behind him. So to uh, create a distraction, Kirk starts fighting the security guards. <laughs> and then, uh, which allows Sulu to get beamed back up to the ship. On the ship, the uh, warp engines are ready. Uh, Sulu has given Spock the tapes and the film. Spock looks at the film and says, poor photography. I know, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and McCoy kind of flips out and says, damn your observations. Kirk is stranded on the planet without a communicator and they have no way to locate him. And Spock states that uh, he understands the concern. On Earth, the security team is questioning Kirk, asking how he got past security. They go back and forth on how he got in the facility. And Kirk just basically says, uh, you'd never believe me if I told you. Yeah, it's very, very flippant yeah. with them, right? Yeah. Again, it's it's kind of played for humor. This colonel sees the, the small phaser and Kirk warns him to be careful with that. Kirk finally, uh, when he's questioning him again who he is, uh, Kirk finally says, I'm a little green man from Alpha Centauri. It's a beautiful place. You ought to see it. All right, Kirk, maybe this will make you laugh. Sabotage, espionage, unauthorized entry, burglary. How are those for starters? And I can think up lots more. I am going to lock you up for 200 years. That ought to be just about right. But if you do the math... Yeah, in 1969, I think this was supposed to be. It was and, supposed to be 1969, uh, yeah. Yeah, so you add 200 years of that, you're uh, 2269. Yeah. Is that the right time frame? No, the numbers don't add up. Uh, we've seen yeah. this a couple of times now, but, you know, it's maybe a minor, minor yeah. thing. It, but he did say it, that should be about right. Yeah, that should be about so. right, yeah. Back on the ship, Spock and Christopher discussing uh, where Kirk would be held. And Christopher says he will only help if Spock agrees to take him along. Spock finally concedes and he adds that he trusts Christopher, but only to a point. They uh, go off to plan their stuff and uh, the transport tech is there with the the security guard from the Air Force Base. And he asks him if he's hungry. And so he goes over to the food replicator and says, would you like some soup? And so the guard says, sure. And he goes over and uh, lifts the thing and it's a bowl of chicken soup. And so the guard, like you can see, he's just completely dumbfounded by the fact that uh, chicken soup was ready in an instant. Uh, and, you know, they didn't have microwaves back then. Actually, I love the, the concept of a replicator. I just think that makes total sense of something that is practical that you would develop in the future where the food would be really instant. Think about microwave up. You know, when they first came out, it was, oh, you're going to have food in, you know, two minutes. Do you know how the you microwave know, so. was invented? No. So there was this guy who was working on radar technology and radar waves and that whole kind of thing. And he had a chocolate bar in his pocket and he was a technician. I think it was at GE, if I remember the, the story, how the story goes. He reaches into his pocket to get the chocolate bar and he realizes, whoa, this chocolate bar is completely melted. What happened? And then he puts two and two together and realizes that the radar beams or whatever he's been working with have melted the chocolate bar and that leads to this kind of idea hey maybe we could use it for cooking now, you got to wonder what this guy's insides look like if the i was just gonna melted. say <laughs> but he's the one that was able to pass on the idea of cooking food in in seconds so this is, is now a like... cooking show on how to cook with using microwave <laughs> energy <laughs> 
you ever put the peeps in the microwave? You know those little peeps that. that oh yeah, they're the the sword fight. The sword the fighting. Fight. Did you ever do that? Yeah, yeah. I've never done that. That would be fun to do. I think it'd be fun to put like uh, other things in the microwave to see what happens. Like if you could put anything in the microwave just to see what would. <laughs> Shit, this is a ramble jar. I know it, but uh, if you could put anything in the microwave to see what would happen to it, would it be an animate? or inanimate object? In other words, would it be alive or not alive? I would never put anything alive into a microwave. You wouldn't? Like a frog? Never. You wouldn't put a frog in there? No. Uh, how about a fly? Look, the fly's going to die in a couple hours anyway, Dana. Might as well put it in the microwave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. I, I, not on purpose. I wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it on purpose. Okay. I don't think I would either. But man, can you imagine that mess? A fly would just explode, yeah. don't you think? Yeah. That's why. I mean. Uh, that's the part. You know, and then you're cooking something else in there later and a little fly leg falls into your food and stuff. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be good. That would not be no. good. But yeah, Part I would... you didn't scrape off the ceiling. Ugh. Yeah, no, no, that, that would not be good. Other things, yes, inanimate objects. My sister-in-law, <laughs> God, this is a ramble now, <laughs> and it doesn't matter because I know she doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> anyway, my, uh, my sister-in-law <laughs> dropped her phone her cell phone and some water or something. And, you know, you're supposed to put it in rice, you know? So she put it in rice and it didn't work. And then somehow she got the idea. Someone told her, she saw it on the internet. I don't know. Put it in the microwave. <laughs> oh, I knew you were going to say this. <laughs> yeah, this is totally true. And she did. And it did not help. Just to make it perfectly clear, <laughs> yeah. we're not going to leave that hanging. It did not help. Do not, put, no matter what happens, do not put your phone in the microwave. So now we're going to have listeners and all they're going to remember is, hey, I, think I, put my, I think I put my phone in the microwave. Uh, I just got out of this UFC match. I dropped my phone in the toilet when I was changing. And I think I put the phone in the microwave. Yeah, I think that's going to work. <laughs> No, they probably put it in a bowl of rice and put that in the microwave. <laughs> so you'd have some kind of like rice pilaf with a phone in the center of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. It'd make the rice absorb the water out of the phone faster, right? That I'm I, I'm sure this works. I'm sure it does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, if I put the, what if I put the ramble jar in the microwave? Do you think that would help? <laughs> Okay. Yeah, moving on. There's a landing party of Sulu, Spock, and Christopher find their way to Kirk. And then uh, when they come through the door, Kirk kicks the gun out of the guard's hand, and Spock uses the Vulcan nerve pinch to subdue another guard. And Christopher goes over while Spock and Kirk are talking, and uh, he takes the gun away from the downed guard. Spock goes through a door uh, into another room, and the door is left open a little bit. Kirk and Sulu are uh, talking about how to get out, and then Christopher is saying, you know, you're going to leave me behind. Yeah, he says that yeah. he does not want to leave because he doesn't want to take the chance that he's never going to see his family again. Yeah, and I think that's a valid point. Sure, you know, yeah. he's, he's got a, he's arguing for himself. Yeah, and then depending uh, on his wife, you know, otherwise he could point the gun at them and say, "You are taking me. <laughs> Do not send me back." So Christopher kind of backs up towards the door, and we see Spock uh, comes around as uh, Christopher saying, "Spock, come out of the room. Uh, Spock, get out here." And then Spock uses the Vulcan nerve pinch to knock him out. So Spock went through oh. a door and went out in the hall and came around where Christopher couldn't see him because Spock had an idea that Christopher yeah. was going to kind of double cross them. Yeah. And he, he even says to Kirk that uh, I suspected as much might happen. Yeah, that's right. Back on the ship, 
Uh, Spock explains that the slingshot effect that put them there can be the best way to get back to their timeline. Spock explains that as they go towards the sun, they will go back in time. And when they transport Christopher and the guard back, it will be before the Enterprise was spotted. Scotty explains that they could overshoot their timeline or if they stop too suddenly, the ship could be torn apart. Because on their way back, they have to like kind of jam on the brakes at a certain spot so that they hit their timeline. They go toward the sun and their speed increases and they're saying, you know, gravity of the sun is causing their speed to increase and go beyond uh, warp eight. Kirk mentions that the chronometers will start going backwards. They slowly are kind of ticking away and then Spock says they will increase the closer they get to the sun. And then they reach the breakaway point and it shakes the ship. All the time that they're doing this, Christopher is on the bridge and he's like right next to Kirk and they're talking and then Kirk says, you better go get ready. You know, you're about to hit your timeline. They they say we're going to transport Christopher and the guard. Christopher beams back into the cockpit of his of his jet. But now when he looks up, the Enterprise is not there. Everything that's happened, he's been sent kind of on a wild goose chase as far as he knows because time has been fixed. Then they transport the guard down and uh, they call back to engineering after they beam the guard down to prepare for braking. Bridge to engineering. Begin full braking power. Pulling away from the sun weakened them, sir. They may blow a part of I reverse. Once again, the ship is really rocked pretty hard. Everybody's thrown around on the bridge. Scotty says the engines are buckling. And then uh, everything kind of comes to a stop. They seem like they're fine. I did the ship didn't break apart. They're all trying to figure out if they're in the right timeline. And then they get a message from Starfleet Control. And they realize that they are back in their time. And that's how the show ends. <laughs> You had made notes about the dilemmas that uh, are faced here. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, let's talk about the dilemmas. So I think this is a dilemma inherent in all time travel fiction. Two questions I want to ask you. Here's the first one. Do you think any of us are really important enough that if we cease to exist, the timeline would be changed? You know, if you take Albert Einstein out, if you uh, take uh, make the czar a different person uh, before the Russian Revolution, the Russian Revolution wouldn't have happened. All these things like that, people that were important in history, that had some kind of effect on history. I, I try to think of people I've come across in my life, and I wonder if there's anybody there, if I wasn't there, that their lives would have been so changed that they wouldn't have made some great discovery or written a piece of music or something that you know influenced people. And I, I can't think of anybody who would be... Uh, so affected uh, that it would, you know, alter the course of history. You mean if you weren't there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. Well, yeah. Talk about altering the course of history. What <laughs> was I thinking? <laughs> well, I guess the, it begs the question, how significant is any one human life? You know? That's a big question. Everybody has meaning in their own groups, in their own areas. But I think that all of us have some effect on the people around us. And I guess I love that way you put it, like the scale, the scale of it. Yeah, we all know these people in history, but that's a small, very small minority of all the people that have ever lived throughout time. And yet there's the rest of us. We impact our friends, our families, and maybe that's enough. Maybe ultimately, maybe that's more important. That's the human condition. We all have a kind of a role to play. And we all end up in the same place, don't we? Hell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> My God, make it stop. Well, you know, you should have been a better person in your life. Otherwise, it would have been over by now. 
So Dan, what do you think were some of the best parts of the show? I think this episode was kind of the most baked in the first season. And when I when I say baked, what I mean is all the ingredients were there. We got all the main characters. They're all there. We got some really good banter between McCoy and Spock. We've got a very interesting dilemma to solve. The writer, I think one of the strongest writers in all of the original series, DC Fontana. And once again, we got time travel. So those that's what I mean by the ingredients are all there to make this show excellent. I don't think it's the best of the original series. I think it's one of the strongest of the ones that we've seen so far. How about for you? What was the best part for you? I loved a lot of the humor that they did. Some of it was a little corny, but I, I liked the uh, things like, I don't believe in little green men. And then Spock says, neither do I. It, it just was fun. And then the whole dilemma about returning uh, Christopher to Earth with his knowledge of the Enterprise. The simple thing would have been to just try to get him back to Earth. So, Dan, this week, we want to take a look at our counts. Well, Where are we at? <laughs> yeah. Well, how about the dead crewman count? How many do we have this week, Dana? Done. No. No one bit the big one on this one, and we had zero, zero on this one. So, we're stuck at 25.5, which still isn't that bad. I mean, it's over one per episode. How about the shirtless Kirk, rip shirt Kirk count? Amazingly enough, Kirk gets in... Uh... He punches out Christopher, and then he gets in a fight with three security guards and doesn't rip his shirt. Yeah. I, I was shocked. I was as well. Zero for this week. We're stuck at eight. The he's dead count should be obvious. Yeah, if nobody died, then yeah. nobody died. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so we're stuck at three. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. Nope. Nothing. None. Yeah, nothing. We're stuck yeah. at one. I would have thought we would have had at least two possibly even three by this point, but we're stuck at one. Maybe in kind of the mythology of Star Trek, people think this actually happened, including me. I'm going to include myself in this. I thought it happened more than it really does. I was pretty sure it was in every episode. Right, exactly. Yeah, I thought yeah, it was going to happen so, a lot, but yeah. that's not the case. Uh, we had zero this week. We are stuck at one. So Dana, you texted me earlier this week. You said that you had an idea for a new count. What is it? Yeah, and it's something... I keep thinking about all the time uh, since we started this. I think we need to count how many kind of supreme beings we come across. Uh, we had the Metrons in the last episode, which were able to stop starships and they said they could destroy the starships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, right. Before that was uh, the Squire of Gothos. You also mentioned Dana and Charlie X. Right? The Thasians. Yeah. And, and then you also kind of made the argument about uh, another character. Yeah. From uh, where no man has gone before, Gary Mitchell takes on godlike qualities. And he even says several times, you know, now I know what it's like to be a god. You would then say that we would have four so far. Okay. So what do you want to call this count? The Supreme Being count. The Supreme Being count. All right. So we're adding a count, everyone. Uh, all of you loyal listeners that we have, this is count number five. And we are at four, right? Yep. Okay. That's what I count. All right, great. So we're at four on the stream being count. So Dana, how about some interesting oh. things in history? You found some, I think, pretty cool things that happened on this, the date that this was broadcast, which was what? January 26th, 1967. I remember this first one very well. The Chicago blizzard happened on January 26th and 27th. The snow began at 5.02 a.m. on Thursday, January 26th. And by 10.10 a.m. the next day, a record 23 inches of snowfall had blanketed the city. I do remember this. I was about six years old, Dana, and there was a huge snow drift that covered our entire garage. The United States and the Soviet Union and United Kingdom all signed the Outer Space Treaty. 
The uh, Monkees were still number one on the UK and US charts with I'm a Believer. And on a sad note, Apollo 1, US astronauts Gus Grissom, Edward Higgins White, and Roger Chafee are all killed when a fire breaks out in their Apollo spacecraft during a launch pad test. Dana, we've got something special going on for next week. Why don't you tell our listeners what that is? We're going to do our first and maybe last uh, Thanksgiving special. (laughs) Things we've seen so far through the first 19 episodes and uh, just kind of have a conversation about uh, things that we really like, things we don't, things we're looking forward to. I'm excited to do this, Dana, because it will give us the chance to really reflect on where we are almost a quarter of the way through the entire series. Can you believe we've stuck with this this long, 19 weeks? I've mentioned before, it's one of the highlights of my week. I really look forward to these conversations and uh, watching the episode with so much uh, detail. I literally think every time my brothers would be uh, so proud and so envious that I was doing this. And really surprised that you stuck with anything this long. (laughs) Surprised that I could even form words that uh, were... Were what? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, you know, were comprehensible. Yeah, I do enjoy. I've I've really enjoyed it. I'm sure we'll talk about uh, talk about some of that stuff next week. But then after that, in two weeks, what's the next episode we'll be talking about? Court martial. All right. Well, once again, Dana had a great time this week. See you next week. Enjoy your weekend. Yeah. Thank you, Dan, for uh, keeping the show going and doing all the editing. Hope you have a, a great rest of your week. And as always, to our listeners, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook or Twitter. The links are in the show description. Make sure to join Dan and Dana next week for their Thanksgiving special. Until then, enjoy your weekend and remember to live long and prosper.